parks are not a long-term solution for camps. Tonight, as one tent city grows, so too does concern about the meeting Monday to allow homeless camping in all Vancouver parks. Plus... The biggest message is patience. Um, you know, we're, we're learning as everybody else is learning. Vancouver Outdoor Pools prepare to open, but while you'll need to pack some patience with your swimsuit and... Taxpayers have a, real right, have a right to be really angry, in fact, pissed off. What's now happening to a six-kilometer pile of dirt that was supposed to be used to replace the Massey Tunnel? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A homeless encampment in Vancouver's Strathcona Park has become a bone of contention and concern for neighbors and businesses. And now it's growing. It happens as the city's park board holds a public meeting Monday night to propose allowing overnight camping at all Vancouver parks. Paul Johnson has our top story. Who are you guys and uh, why are you putting a camera? You're going to put that camera at me. Residents of the Strathcona encampment react to our news cameras coming into the public park to document the situation. Whose bikes are these? These, my friends. Okay. A couple of them under here are mine. Let me wait. One complaint about the camp is that it's allegedly become a lawless zone where stolen property is gathered and fenced. We saw lots of bikes, bike parts, lawnmowers, kitchen appliances, and industrial equipment in the park. I think it's hard to determine, you know, how much crime is going on. John Irwin is a Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. On Monday night, the Park Board will discuss a controversial bylaw that would allow homeless people to camp in city parks require them to take down their tents in the morning. Permanent encampments like Strathcona and its predecessor in Oppenheimer displaced other users of the park and made many of their neighbours fearful of crime. I know crime is happening, right? I'm not, I'm not denying that there's, there's crime sometimes. Um, but, you know, whether it's at a real fever pitch or not, I think is questionable. Irwin says he's open to the bylaw, but not committed either way yet. I do support that, yes. Vancouver City Councillor Pete Fry says the bylaw would strike the balance between providing a place for homeless people to sleep and preserving other uses of the city's limited park space. The distinction is is that it's overnight, and so you can't set up a permanent encampment, you can't set up permanent structures, you can't be there indefinitely. In only a matter of weeks, the Strathcona encampment has grown from a handful of tents to several dozen. Organizers say their goal was to create what's known as an intentional community, a self-governing group centered around the movement for First Nations reconciliation. Fry says that's an admirable goal, but points out, successful intentional communities he's visited elsewhere have other things going on as well. They have very strict rules. You have to check in at a gatehouse to even enter. They have zero tolerance for theft, uh, and it's a, it's a sober camp. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. A section of Barnett Highway in Burnaby was partially closed for a short time this afternoon when a fire broke out at a neighboring site under development. Smoke filled the air as a canvas-covered shed storing some straw material caught fire on the former Cask Brothers Ready Mix site on Barnett Highway. One lane of the road was temporarily closed because firefighters were concerned the smoke could possibly impair drivers' visibility. They also struggled to access a water source to douse the flames. One of the issues that we had to deal with, though, was the availability of water. So the trucks had to shuttle water back and forth from the hydrant as opposed to shutting down the Barnett to run a line across. 
Firefighters eventually got it under control. No word yet on what sparked the fire. A long-awaited rite of summer finally begins tomorrow. Swimmers will be able to take the plunge in some of Vancouver's outdoor pools. The pandemic delayed the season opening, but as Grace Key reports, we got an early sign of just how eager people are to swim when the online reservation service opened this morning. Monday morning, the doors will be back open for outdoor swimming at Kitsilano, New Brighton and Second Beach. Things are going to look different. At Kits, the entrance is at the showboat. It's a one-way flow around the deck. Up to two people in the same group will be allowed in each pod. And of course, there will be plenty of disinfecting. After the 90 minutes, we would then have the pool vacated. Everybody would leave and then we'd have 30 minutes to change over, do the cleaning, go through and touch all our, do all our touch points where the where the public have been. You'll have to show up swim ready. Bathrooms will be open, but change rooms and lockers will not be available. You'll have 45 minutes for laps and 90 minutes for recreational swimming. Online reservations start at 9.30 every morning for the next day. Swimmers are excited to get back in the water, but we'll have to do a bit more planning. One of the things that I found um, not convenient is just being able to book a day ahead of time. Uh, at 9.30, as I said, at 10.30, it was all the time slots were already taken up. Um, and so it's just really hard to sort of set your schedule. 80% will be online reservations and 20% drop-in. The system did have a brief technical problem when it opened at 9.30 on Sunday. Swimmers are being asked to be patient for the reopening. We're learning as everybody else is learning. And when people come down on the first day or the first week, uh, just work with us. Uh, we still, as staff, are learning how to operate within this new environment, this new normal, as everybody's calling it. And I think it's going to take maybe a week or so till we really start to feel comfortable with it. We're all on the same page in terms of how it operates. Maple Grove will be opening up on July 20th. Grace Key, Global News. Starting tomorrow, CBUS is increasing its departures to accommodate growing passenger demand. Weekday departures will now be every 15 minutes during the morning and afternoon peaks. That's up from every 30 minutes, which was implemented when the pandemic began. TransLink says the increased sailings will also help provide more space between commuters during peak hours. CBUS has reduced its maximum capacity to 50 percent, and passengers have been asked to wear a mask while on board and while waiting for a vessel. The Bloedel Conservatory reopens tomorrow after being closed since March 16th. Visitors and members will be required to book a 45-minute time slot in advance. The path inside the conservatory will be one way in line with physical distancing measures. WorkSafe BC says so far it has conducted more than 12,000 COVID-19-related worksite inspections across the province. Those inspections were carried out between mid-March and about July 1st. In that time, inspectors have written about 330 orders for health and safety violations. And that generally means an employer is being directed to maintain better physical distancing and or hygiene protocols in their workspace. We're seeing that the majority of the orders that we're writing right now uh, and the, the, the areas of most challenge seem to be in the, in the retail sector, uh, the trade sector, if you will, retail establishments, as well as the service sector, which includes hotels and restaurants. And it's partly because they're the locations, they're the sectors that interact a lot with the public. 
We have more tonight on the new COVID-19 cases in Kelowna and possible exposure of many, many more people. While the exact number of potential cases isn't clear, what is becoming more evident is the spread occurred through private gatherings and possibly interprovincial travel. Kristen Robinson has more. More than eight people have tested positive for COVID-19 in Kelowna in an exposure linked to house parties at the Discovery Bay Resort and Boyce Gyro Beach Lodge. Just how many others could potentially be infected remains unclear. Could be dozens, uh, could be more. Um, depends on, you know, how prolonged they were exposing themselves to other people and, you know, how big some of these parties were. Although the resort and vacation rental gatherings were private, Interior Health says those infected also visited public spaces in downtown Kelowna and its waterfront between June 25th and July 6th. Anybody, anywhere uh, really could have been exposed. Those who develop symptoms urge to get tested. Health officials also reminding tourists from out of province to follow BC's rules getting people coming from areas that have higher infection rate, you know, there is that risk that it's spreading to areas that, you know, have been pretty low up to now. In Alberta, crowds of beachgoers flooded the small town of Sylvan Lake Saturday. Photos posted to social media show an apparent lack of physical distancing. Last month, Alberta increased its outdoor gathering limit to 200 people, but B.C. is not matching that number. So right now, it's 50 in B.C. It's not going to change in the near future. Before we entered Phase 3, non-essential travel between provinces was discouraged to slow the spread of the virus. With Revelstoke and other B.C. communities now welcoming Albertans, non-British Columbians are still encouraged to stay home if they're sick. You know, you still have to remain vigilant. You know, the disease has not gone away and we don't have a vaccine at this point. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Outdoor patio space is giving restaurants across the province a lifeline as they try to recover from COVID-19. Since launching its temporary patio program last month, the city of Vancouver has issued 220 free permits to restaurants and bars looking to expand or add outdoor seating amid physical distancing rules. Gastown businesses also recently launched Patio Town. More than 20 patios and close to 500 outdoor seats, in which is being billed as the city's largest patio district. All over British Columbia, where municipalities um, have said, great, you know what, get rid of the red tape and regulation. We're getting patios approved in sort of four days between municipalities and the provincial government, which otherwise would have taken like four years. It probably means 30 or 40 percent um, more business for that restaurant. And if we get good weather and it can sustain itself, it's going to carry restaurants through to the winter. A Fraser Valley couple had to be rescued Saturday when they ran into trouble during a walk in the backcountry east of Kelowna. That call out just part of a busy start to the summer for local search and rescue volunteers, a season that's already been complicated by COVID-19. Megan Turcato has more. A BC couple's trip to the James Lake area east of Kelowna ended with a helicopter rescue Saturday afternoon after the pair became lost during a walk. They went down the path. Uh, when they turned around, they realized that they had gone into an intersection and weren't sure which path to come out back on. COSAR was able to use the couple's cell phone to pinpoint their approximate location, and an RCMP helicopter was dispatched to find them. 
had we gone in through the same kind of road, it may have been a couple of hours where the helicopter from the airport to where they are were less than four minutes of flying time. The pair were soon safely on their way. They didn't have any water or bug spray. The bugs are really bad up there. So they were happy to see the helicopter. But if you are planning on doing that, you know, please at least take some water and a way to start a fire. Saturday's helicopter rescue, part of what the search and rescue group says has been a busier than usual start to the summer. A lot of people are, because of COVID-19, are starting to get out and get back active. And they think they can do what they did at the end of last year. So we're seeing a lot more uh, slight injuries, twisted ankles, broken ankles, stuff like that. During the pandemic, the province's Search and Rescue Association has been urging people to be extra cautious to minimize the number of times crews are called for help. Megan Turcato, Global News, Kelowna. A vehicle linked to a suspicious death outside of Edmonton has been located here in B.C. Mounties had been looking for a white 2019 Toyota Tacoma after the body of a woman was found inside an apartment near the city's south end. That vehicle was located in Sycamus late last night, and the body of a 39-year-old suspect who was believed to have been driving the vehicle was located a short distance away. The B.C. Coroner's Service is now conducting an autopsy on the man. An autopsy on the woman has been scheduled for Tuesday. The homicide section in Alberta is not looking for any other suspects at this time. Human remains have been found on a beach in Roberts Creek. Sunshine Coast RCMP say the gruesome discovery was made Saturday morning. A dog alerted two teens to the remains, which are said to be badly decomposed. Police say they're checking missing persons reports, but as of now, the remains have not been identified. Tributes are pouring in for Vancouver musician Rich Prisk, who died suddenly on Saturday. Prisk is best known as the bass player in the Matthew Good Band. In a post on Instagram, Good wrote, My deepest condolences go out to his friends and family. Rest in peace, Rich. He also performed with Biff Naked, Art Bergman, and The Real Mackenzies. Former Matthew Good guitarist Dave Gend, who's now in 5440, remembers Prisk as the best bass player in Vancouver. Rich's bass lines, whether it be Hello Time Bomb, or Load Me Up, or any of the Biff Naked stuff he played on, uh, it lives on. It's on the radio every single day. Somewhere in Canada, um, his bass line's on the radio right now. And that is something that uh, the Vancouver and Canadian music community can take solace in, is that your work lives on. There's no word on the cause of death. Prisk was just 52 years old. A well-known Richmond councillor is officially announcing his retirement. Harold Steves posted on Twitter that he will not be seeking re-election. Steves was first elected to council back in 1969. He's also a founder of BC's Agricultural Land Reserve, which regulates activities on agricultural land. Steve is a vocal advocate for farming and local food security. The next municipal election is in 2022. By then, Steve's will be 85. Well, love it or hate it, for tens of thousands of drivers, the Massey Tunnel is a daily reality, one with a sight that's hard to miss, a six-kilometer-long pile of dirt. As Richard Zussman reports, one MLA is using the unsightly roadside attraction to raise attention to a long-overdue project. It seems to be the only place along Highway 99 near the Massey Tunnel where someone can drive without ending up in traffic. BC Liberal and local MLA Jazz Johal 
playing some golf along a six-kilometer stretch of sand and dirt along the road. But wiffle balls aren't the only things that have been lost in the sand and brush. This was a sand trap. We put $80 million into the uh, Massey Bridge. It was ready to go. We had put money into it, and the NDB came and canceled it. The preload was trucked in three years ago to be used for the previously approved bridge set to replace the Massey Tunnel. Joe Hall has pulled the stunt before, trying to raise awareness of the cancelled project in 2018. The NDP assessed the project soon after coming to office three years ago and cancelled the bridge. Now they're figuring out what to do next. As uh, congestion starts to build, as we build out of COVID, it becomes a, a real concern for people again. Uh, we are on track. Even with COVID-19 diverting government's attention, the goal is still to have a business case for the replacement by fall. In November, Metro Vancouver's board of directors supported an eight-lane immersed tube tunnel with a targeted timeline to finish the project by 2026-27. I want to remind them that they would have been driving over a bridge by now. But no, all they got is six kilometers of sand and weeds. The proposed tunnel would include six lanes for traffic and two dedicated transit lanes. The Liberal project was a 10-lane bridge with transit capacity as well to replace an aging tunnel that's been here since 1959. As for the massive sand pile, the government originally said it would be gone by January 2019, a year and a half ago. Now there's finally a destination. It's being moved this summer. It's being used for the project that we're doing um, on the Highway 9117 uh, corridor. Meaning Joe Hall will still have years to complain about a replacement to the Massey, but only a few more weeks to play golf. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. For cats and cat lovers, they were the perfect comfort spots before the lockdown. Well, now one of Vancouver's two cat cafes is open again, while the other is pivoting to survive the pandemic. Cat Fay in the International Village Mall reopened at 50% capacity in late June after closing in mid-March. Well, now you'll find plexiglass and social distancing, plus mandatory masks in the cat lounge, which will have 24 felines, but only nine people can visit at a time, and reservations are required. Cat Fay has planned to launch a bunny cafe on Commercial Drive this spring, but it's now a bunny lounge, and it's expected to open in the fall. This is really nice because they're limiting it, so you kind of get more one-on-one -on -one time with some of the, the cats that you might not normally get to or like have as much time with. Yeah, we have a cat at home, but she's old and she's like not super cuddly. Uh, she's 17 years old. Um, and we still love her, but like the kittens here are so friendly. <laughs> a lot of people um, are just uh, feeling kind of lonely and just looking for some quality kitty time, someone to snuggle with. Uh, we have had a lot of interest in adoptions, especially with so many people working from home right now. Catoro Cafe on the Broadway Corridor, which opened its doors last July, was also forced to close. The owner says they lost 95% of their revenue and had to lay off 80% of their staff. Catoro launched a fundraiser to help care for the cats and cover costs before government subsidies kicked in. All the felines were adopted out or placed in foster homes. The cafe pivoted to online sales and delivering pet supplies, which has gone from about 3 to 90% of their income. Our goal right now is to open um, around the third week of July. So um, we have a few different changes that we're going to have to put in place in terms of the capacity for our, for our cat forest. Uh, we're not going to be able to have as many people in there at a time. And we're also going to be running on uh, shorter hours and, and fewer staff. Just to start.
A dramatic scene Saturday afternoon as two cargo ships collided head-on in the Welland Canal in Ontario. Both ships were damaged, but no injuries were reported. The ships have since been towed to separate docks and an investigation is underway. There were no dangerous goods on board either vessel. The Transportation Safety Board is investigating. An intense manhunt is still underway in Quebec tonight. Police have not found the father of two young girls found dead in a community south of Quebec City. The bodies of six-year-old Rami and 11-year-old Nora Carpentier were found yesterday in a heavily wooded area. The sisters were the subject of an Amber Alert earlier this week. Quebec Provincial Police spent all day combing the area in the hunt for 44-year-old Martin Carpentier, a suspect in the criminal investigation into the death of his two daughters. Police are asking area residents to stay vigilant, but to also leave the investigation to officers. A Calgary man has died falling about six meters while hiking in Kananaskis country near Canmore. Police say the 30-year-old was on a popular trail on Mount Temnuska yesterday afternoon when he fell. Several boulders dislodged from the slope above, hitting the man and some bystanders who were trying to help him. Despite the efforts of first responders, the hiker died of his injuries. This was not the adventure a group of a group in Calgary set out for. Viewer video shows a group of 10 rafters stranded in the fast-moving waters of the Bow River yesterday. A kayaker appears to be trying to help them when the kayak flips. Moments later, the rafters also end up in the water, some of them eventually clinging to a passing canoe. The Calgary Fire Department says everyone eventually made it out safely. A report out of Iran is shedding some new light on the downing of a Ukrainian airliner in January. All 176 people on board were killed, including 55 Canadians. The Iranian government eventually admitted responsibility, but the flight's data recorder still hasn't been turned over to international authorities. And as Heather Urex West explains, this new report is providing little comfort to those who lost loved ones. A report released Saturday by Iran's civil aviation organization says errors made by the crew manning a missile battery were largely to blame for the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752. On January 8th, the passenger jet was shot down by Iran's Revolutionary Army shortly after taking off from Tehran. 176 people were killed, including Edmonton's Elnaz Nabai. I didn't even touch her clothes. Her shoes, all of them are here intact. I don't know what to do with them. The report outlined several key moments that led to the plane's destruction. It says the surface-to-air missile battery had been moved and was misaligned. As well, those manning the missile battery could not communicate with their command center and opened fire twice without getting approval from ranking The report also noted the Ukrainian flight had done nothing out of the ordinary when the missiles were launched. Six people believed to be involved in the incident were arrested. And after a lengthy delay, Iran says it plans to send the black box to France later this month, where it will be examined. The Canadian government is among those waiting for that information to be delivered. A spokesperson for Global Affairs Canada said in a statement to Global News, immediate action is required from the Iranian regime to ensure they conduct a comprehensive and transparent investigation in accordance with international standards. It's what family members are waiting for as well, each wanting justice and accountability after an unspeakable amount of loss. We cannot tell our beloved ones that, okay, the Iranian regime murdered you brutally and we are just silent. We cannot let Iran and other countries avoid justice. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. 
A Navy ship docked in San Diego caught fire following an explosion today. The fire spread throughout USS Bonhomme Richard, an amphibious assault ship. Federal fire officials, along with the San Diego Fire Department, battled the blaze. Fire officials say at least 21 sailors are being treated in hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. A 55-gallon drum of oil is believed to be the cause of the explosion. Florida has shattered its record for the number of COVID-19 cases. The state added more than 15,000 new cases today, bringing its total to more than 269,000. Officials say the state had an 11% positive test rating on Saturday and 45 new deaths were also confirmed. If the state were a country, it would rank fourth highest in the world for new COVID cases behind the US, Brazil and India. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Why these crop circles in France are proving to be problematic for the man who owns the land. We're going to have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, police in Australia have a new recruit. This eight-month-old baby wombat, now named Ted, was taken in by New South Wales police after his mother was struck and killed by a car late last month. Since then, Ted has been a regular fixture at the police station, running about the place or taking naps in his portable bed. Ted will remain under the care of the police unit until he's at least 18 months old and mature enough to be released back into the wild. Though cute, wombats are not pets. At maturity, they can weigh more than 70 pounds and run 40 kilometers an hour. Yvonne, you're welcome. Very cute. <laughs> he don't run us both very quickly. I'm very, very quick little <laughs> critters. Uh, okay, you've got some wild weather in Alberta. Yeah, we'll start off with there. Just to our neighbors in Alberta, southern and central Alberta, were hit with a storm. Severe weather. This was the scene in Innisfil this afternoon. Significant hail pummeling this backyard. The extreme weather also prompting a tornado warning for the Nanton area. And here are view images of a funnel landspout near Cayley, possible tornado near Nanton. And Environment Canada hasn't uh, reported back yet or they haven't classified it. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on that. But it was a very different weather picture uh, for us here back at home. We managed to squeeze out some breaks. Dry conditions. Uh, we are going to see some sunshine in the mix into early next week. And temperatures are on the rise. I'll have more on that in just a moment. A beautiful shot overlooking English Bay. Temperatures are sitting at 20 degrees. It's pleasant. We've got a southwesterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. Here's a great shot that was taken over the weekend captured in Tofino, so thank you so much, Tim. And as well, the comet Neowise in Vernon captured early this morning from Malcolm, so thank you so much. All right, here's what we are looking at on the satellite. For us, we may see more cloud cover. It is going to roll in overnight and for the early morning hours and then some sunshine towards the afternoon. We can still see that active weather in Alberta. Severe thunderstorm watch still in effect, and we're tracking it for the southeastern corners of the province. Central interior and a few lightning strikes are still popping up for areas near the peace this evening. They'll dissipate and it'll be a much calmer day for tomorrow. Here's how things do play out as we get in towards our long-range forecast. So overnight an increase in cloud cover for all areas across the south coast. It'll be mainly cloudy tomorrow morning, so a heads up and then the sunshine making an appearance by the afternoon and continuing to be dry and clear towards the evening. The next weather maker is going to move in across the province and we'll see that as early as Tuesday morning for both the north and central coast. Overnight, temperatures down to 11 degrees, mainly 
cloudy tomorrow morning, bumping up to a high of 20 with a mainly sunny sky by the afternoon. Areas away from the water will climb up to 24 degrees, and with the humid X, it'll feel closer to 26 degrees, so we've got a warm day in store. Flood concern, this is from the BC River Forecast Centre. The flood warning still in effect for the Middle Fraser River, as well as the Quinell River and the High Stream Flow Advisory in yellow, stretching into the northeastern corners of the province. Now, the northern half of the province tomorrow, much needed break before we start to see that rain moving in on Tuesday. Closer to the water, 16 degrees. Inland will bump up to 20 degrees. There's some sunshine, dry conditions, much needed for the northeastern corners of the province, and a similar weather picture for all areas across the central interior. Bit of a blip blow will be for the Columbia tomorrow with a slight chance of a shower. Temperatures will still get into the low 20s, and the temperatures are warming up for all areas into the Thompson Okanagan over the next few days and pushing closer to 30 degrees come Wednesday. We are going to see a fair bit of cloud cover for all areas across the south coast tomorrow morning, especially for the northern tip of the island, and then it'll clear out by the afternoon. Highs into the low 20s, it warms up away from the water, 24 degrees, and with the Humidex feeling like 26 degrees. Long-range forecast, Colleen, looks pretty good. Both Tuesday, Wednesday, we've got sunshine in the mix. We are going to see that change on the way, but it'll likely be late in the day on Wednesday, so that's the good news. We'll salvage our Wednesday with some sunshine. By the evening, it is a chance of showers. The wettest day or the grayest day looks to be Thursday so far, but a fantastic start to the work week temperatures tomorrow especially away from the water warming up to around 24 looking good lovely all right thanks yvonne a crop circle is still attracting curious visitors almost a week after it appeared in a field in northern france the round pattern of flattened wheat was spotted by a local farmer in vimy on july 5th and has since brought enthusiasts rushing to the site some from hundreds of miles away some believe the cross pattern is a reference to the Knights Templar and the area's turbulent past ravaged by fighting in both world wars. And the farmer who owns the field says he's been shocked by the interest in the crop circles, which he says has cost him two to $3,000 per square foot of uh, wheat growing space, which is due to be harvested next week. No word on the origin. Ouch, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Pricey. Very pricey. Someone had some Frank. time on their hands. Mm, a little bit, yeah. Very artistic. <laughs> Very skilled. Uh, what do you got coming up there? Well, uh, another blip for the MLS comeback tournament down in Orlando. Toronto FC was supposed to play its first game this morning, but some uh, COVID tests with uh, DC United and one with uh, Toronto that was inconclusive. They postponed it very late. They're going to try again tomorrow. So two ways to look at it. Either they're being very careful, so that's good, or two, this thing is starting to implode. So we'll hear from uh, Whitecaps coach Mark DeSantos and his opinion on that. It's a controversial topic, especially south of the border. Despite COVID cases surging in the U.S., Donald Trump is insisting schools reopen full-time in September. Our provincial government is taking a wait-and-see approach. But in parts of Europe and Asia, where the virus is relatively controlled, millions of kids are already back in school, providing lessons we can learn here. It's a rare sight and rare sound these days, at least in America. In recent weeks, hundreds of millions of kids across the globe have gone back to school. Glad to be back, a bit nervous. Denmark was the first in Europe to reopen schools and we were there. They started with pods of four or five kids enforcing the two-meter rule. Will you guys show me two meters? And the kids were psyched. What did you miss the most? Do you miss your friends? My friends. Meanwhile, in Thailand, masks, the smallest face visors, 
and lots of hand washing. Across Asia, masks are mandatory. And in South Korea, schools opened, then closed, then reopened with temperature checks and plastic dividers. But when European schools started opening, they only did it when cases were dropping. And in Norway, so far, it's working. You have to remember that uh, COVID-19 outbreak in Norway has been, uh, you know, pushed back. So the situation is completely different from, uh, for instance, compared to, to the States or uh, Brazil or something like that, you know. Molly Hunter, NBC News, London. Barry's here with sports. And Barry, you could describe the uh, some of the sporting situations as fluid right now. Uh, well, I think that's kind of been our world for the last few months, for sure. No different for them. But everyone's just hoping these bubble situations, it's, uh, they're, they're learning on the fly like everyone. So we'll see if they're going to handle it the proper way. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, more problems for the MLS Returns Tournament in Orlando. Today's scheduled match between Toronto FC and D.C. United was called off just moments before kickoff. D.C. United had a positive COVID test in the final round of testing the night before the game. Toronto had an inconclusive test. So for safety reasons, the match was postponed. It will be played now tomorrow morning. Already, FC Dallas and Nashville have pulled out of the tournament due to numerous positive tests on their teams. The Whitecaps played their first match Wednesday versus San Jose, and Vancouver coach Mark DeSantos is looking at today's decision as a positive one. Yes, it shows how the league is serious uh, about any type of case in every situation. Uh, that could arise and uh, the health of the players and staff always comes first. Of course, it's uh, it's um, it's bad for the schedule. Then we have to uh, reschedule and probably shuffle things around. We'll get more news during the day, but at least it shows uh, all the security and measures that the league is taking every day here. Me and the players, we feel safe. We feel safe, but we're very, very careful and we're very aware that it's not because we're in a bubble that things cannot happen. So we we are very safe. We feel secure. Uh, Again, we stay together as a team. We create our bubble inside this bubble, but then we're very realistic that we don't control everything. Today's other matches are going ahead as scheduled. In the West, sporting Kansas City and Minnesota. Late first half, sporting with the break. And Kerry Shelton, watch the Minnesota goalkeeper, kind of played the pass and leaves lots of room on the short side. Shelton hammers it in. That's the only goal so far in the second half. English Premiership, Leicester City and Bournemouth. Foxes with a chance to jump past Chelsea into third. But Bournemouth, uh, motivated to escape relegation, were tied at one. And then Dominic Solanke makes it 2-1 Bournemouth. And then an own goal via shot deflecting in off Johnny Evans as Bournemouth shocked Leicester City 4-1. Man United can now jump into third with a win tomorrow in their match against Southampton. Final round of the Workday Charity Open from Muirfield Village in Ohio. Justin Thomas had a two-shot lead when the day began. He lost the lead thanks to some of his first bogeys of the tournament, then roared back. He had five birdies and this eagle over a seven-hole stretch to get to 21 under and a three-shot lead with just three to go. But Colin Morikawa wouldn't go away. 17th hole, rolls in the clutch birdie, cuts the lead to just one with one to go. On 18, Thomas, after some trouble, has an 11-footer for par, but it's for the win. 
but just slides by. We need a playoff. First playoff hole was spectacular. Thomas 50 feet away for birdie, and realistically, you'd think a two-putt would be fine with him, but he only needed one. A huge breaker that finds the middle of the cup. What a putt by Justin Thomas. What a birdie. So now Morikawa has to sink his birdie putt to keep the playoff going. 24 feet away, another slippery putt. Looks like it might miss left, but then comes back and gets in. The 23-year-old is clutch, and we play on. Third playoff hole, Thomas in trouble off the tee. Morikawa after a perfect drive with his approach, and it's a beauty just nine feet away. And he would two-putt for the par and the win, his second on the PGA Tour in just 13 months as a pro. Gutsy, determined performance for Morikawa. Thomas has to be sick about letting that one get away. As far as the Canadians, Roger Sloan tied 27th, 145,000. Adam Hadwin tied 35th. Nick Taylor tied 48th in his first tournament back. Hadwin and Taylor will stay at Mirfield Village for the Memorial. Tiger Woods will make his debut there as well. That tournament starts Thursday. Formula One, back-to-back weekends at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg, Austria. Canadian Lance Stroll driving hard for a top 10. Did better than that. Passes Daniel Ricciardo. Made it as high as 6th. Ended up 7th, so a good result for him. Fellow Canadian Nicholas Latifi was 17th. It was another 1-2 finish for Mercedes. This time it's pole sitter Lewis Hamilton cruising to victory. Wound up almost 14 seconds ahead of the pack. 85th career checkered flag for Hamilton. Now just six wins back of Michael Schumacher's all-time record for Formula One wins. Valtteri Bottas was second. Max Verstappen was third. NASCAR Quaker State 400 from Kentucky Speedway. Late in the race, the restart... Two laps to go, and it's the rookie Cole Custer who outduels some of NASCAR's top drivers, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr. among them. It's the 22-year-old Cole Custer with his first-ever NASCAR Cup win, and man, is he happy. Celebrates and will also run to celebrate with his crew a day he will never forget. And second race of the weekend for the Indy cars at Road America in Wisconsin. Good crop of young drivers, including Sweden's Felix Rosenqvist. You'll remember we featured a young race engineer from Coquitlam, Ryan Dingle, a few weeks back. He was Rosenqvist's engineer in Japan back in 2017. And now Rosenqvist is an IndyCar winner, makes an impressive pass on Pato Award with two laps to go, and then brings it home, the first career victory for the 28-year-old from Sweden. And I'm sure Ryan Dingle is celebrating somewhere in Japan as well for his old friend. The Canadian Elite Basketball League will play a tournament to decide their season. That begins two weeks from today in St. Catharines, Ontario. The Fraser Valley Bandits are the only BC-based team in the league. They've almost completely overhauled their roster from a year ago. Only Abbotsford native Merrick Klassen is back with the team. After months of keeping his hoop skills sharp, Merrick Klassen is ready to get back to work. Did you think you'd have a season to play, play for, given what's gone on for the last three months? Yeah, I think it was touch and go. I mean, I think every single day, uh, you know, the reports are changing. So I'm not going to say that I was really uh, positive it would happen, but obviously very hopeful. And like I said, I've been continuing to keep myself in shape and in hopes that it would. Merrick Klassen, long three attempt, nothing but net. Merrick Klassen. Klassen is right at home with the Fraser Valley Bandits. The Abbotsford native is one of only two BC players on the roster. And if you're thinking that's the main reason why he's on the team, think again. Last season, Merrick averaged a Canadian elite basketball leading 7.2 assists per game. 
He also set the league record for assists in a game when he recorded 15. For his accomplishments, Klassen was named a second-team All-Star. So, yes, he can play. And, oh, what a pass! I studied Merrick, uh, not only in the CBL, but his European stuff. Uh, got to know him over the course of a handful of, like, long conversations. I was recruiting him or talking to him when I was in Taiwan. So Merrick will be a, a huge piece to the puzzle. Merrick has used his off time wisely. This is the longest stretch of time where he hasn't been on the court playing, so he's taken his workouts to the next level. Three to four times a week is heavy lifting, while every other day is intense cardio work. He's gotten stronger, fitter, faster, and hopefully collectively as a team, better. Klassen and the Bandits were off the mark in their inaugural season, winning just four of 20 basketball games. Basketball and really every sport is skill-based, but a lot of it's just in shape. A lot of it's the mental fortitude you have to push through um, those, those muscular endurance activities. And so I feel like I'm in great shape. Ah, yes. Yeah, he's got good hops, as they say. You can get up there and jam that basketball. So good luck to Fraser Valley. The, two weeks from now, they start that tournament. Time now for our nightly thanks to our BC healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight, we are honoring Bincy Palouse. Uh, Bincy is a physiotherapist working in Cowichan District Hospital. She is the one responsible making the difficult decision of who will be discharged and when while providing beds for COVID patients. So thank you, Bincy, and your team in Duncan at Cowichan District Hospital. Um, if you have a healthcare hero, to nominate, email us a few pictures to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. Congratulations, Bincy. Uh, this is an interesting story. Uh, lots of people have seen this little guy. A toddler in China has become a social media sensation for his hoop skills. Have a look. In the videos posted by his parents, two-year-old Lee can be seen sinking incredible trick shots. Lee began to develop his internet, or his interest rather, in basketball by watching his dad play. Lee now plays basketball for one to two hours every day. Yeah, the videos have gone viral, attracting more than 400,000 followers, something his parents did not expect. Boy, look at him. Busy during the pandemic. He's, yeah, it's better than I could do. Uh, and we've got this other mini pro to tell you about. This time, an Alberta boy is giving our meteorologists some competition, Yvonne, in the weather department. Have a look. Jake here with a quick update. We now have a 60% chance of showers this afternoon with a risk of thunderstorms. Yeah, that is Jake the Weather Kid, kind of a mini Mark Madriga. The 10-year-old has been making regular videos forecasting the weather for Grand Prairie. He's already made a name for himself with several guest appearances in and around the city. He spoke with the Edmonton Morning Show about his aspirations. I'm hoping to be into local radio and keep my and keep making my videos. But when I grow up, I would like to be a meteorologist like you so that I can tell the weather every morning because it's a very important job. Well, that's for sure. Yvonne, any words of advice? Well, I know who we're calling when we're on vacation here in the <laughs> weather department. It'll be him, and he's good. He's braving the elements. He's outside, too, so he's pretty good. We're and calling only, him next. And he only has to be right one out of three times, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the percentage, right? Educated guess. 33% <laughs> is all you need. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11. Have a great night. Thanks.